Hello and welcome to another episode of Joe Blogs About Films. Whether you're a first-time listener, a long-time listener, all the same, it really is appreciated that you've clicked on this podcast and this episode. We're going to be diving into The Cabin in the Woods, released in 2011 to... Pretty much, as far as I was aware, it had pretty good reviews to it. Like it was a uh, a fresh take and very meta, as I say, with the horror itself, the story overall, and it easily became one of my favourite films of two thousand eleven. And obviously, we're approaching spooky season. October is just around the corner, literally days away now. So there's going to be probably a lot more of the um, yeah, like maybe horror thriller films. That I'm going to try and review and revisit, I should say over the course um, yeah over the course of the month on this podcast so don't miss that as i say the best way to keep up to date with the podcast is by jumping onto facebook and searching joe blogs about films giving us a like and a follow on there as too if you jump onto spotify apple rss.com wherever the podcast is streaming hit notification as well so you can be notified literally when the new episode is uploaded how about that what what a marvelous world we live in eh but obviously if you are streaming it through any of those sites it really is appreciated thank you do leave us a review as well because that would be lovely so here we are then the cabin in the woods released in 2011 directed by drew goddard written by drew goddard and uh, there's another person that's attached to this who uh yeah, as I say, his kind of reputation's gone out of the window in terms of Hollywoods and, and everything that was um, that was going on. Uh, his name rhymes with Boss Beden, and uh, he was responsible for some, for some honestly, some great, great material. Don't get me wrong; like Buffy the Vampire Slayer is easily one of the best, one of the best TV shows that's out there. And obviously, he had a hand in with the with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, obviously doing the first two Avengers. Sadly, obviously, after what happened with the Justice League and all that jazz. It's just like it's it's one of those. It's um yeah unbelievable to be honest. Uh, what what he and uh, and Warner Brothers got with. So that being said, I just want to kind of address that straight away that I absolutely cannot stand and, and believe some of the stuff that Mister Beden has uh, has gotten up to. So we're not really gonna. I'm not gonna give him too much of the limelight. But again, I had to kind of address the elephant in the room there that he is attached to this and. You can tell with some of his writing, I say like he, he definitely definitely had a hand in this. But all, all the same, I. Aside from all that, sorry, I really do like this film. I gave it a rewatch because, as I say, it's coming around at that time of year. And it just kind of takes me back straight to that time when this film was coming out because I think that most of the trailers, I, I don't think it gave too much away about the um, the overall like twists and turns of the film. I would like to think it wouldn't. I do remember seeing a few trailers for it, but maybe I should, like I said, rewatch and just see exactly what is given away because... It's one of those films, like I say, it's very meta in the sense that it knows what it's doing and, 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 and playing on those tropes, but at the same time with horror, it's like just twisting it a bit, like chewing it up and spitting it back out and really giving the audience a new a new experience within the horror world. Because you've you've seen if you've seen one Cabin in the Woods film, you've pretty much seen it all and you can see the influences this film has. Obviously the main one for me straight away when you see the cabin is of course Evil Dead. Um, and it's that's the thing we've seen so many things like cabin fever over the years there's just been plenty and plenty of uh, yeah cabin in the wood horror films but this one slightly a little bit different so we will be going into spoilers as well about this so I'm going to say that straight away because if you've not seen this film and you've just happened to stumble across this episode whatever I, I would rather you go in completely raw and not knowing anything about this film don't even watch a trailer for it just go and watch the film it's full of surprises and it will it will like it it kind of plays on your expectations, but then completely throws you off guard 
all the way through. And I really do dig what this film does, and especially with the, with how the story unfolds. And, and even, like I said, the ending, I think, is, is pretty ace. So if you've not seen the film, spoilers from this point on, anywho. Now that we've got the spoiler warning out of the way, and before we do dive even further into The Cabin in the Woods, the other influence, obviously, with this film, or surrounding this film, I should say, is definitely The Truman Show. The Cabin in the Woods is how I would describe uh, if, if if the Truman Show and, and the Evil Dead and such had had a child, that this film would be that child, you know what I mean? Like The, the, the way that they've created the world around it, all creating that atmosphere and tone as well, it does have that Truman Show feel to it, because it's not been that long ago since I did actually re-watch the Truman Show. I think it's an absolutely fantastic and mesmerising performance, in particular from Jim Carrey, as I say, but the whole film itself is so well thought, and it's one of the more serious roles i would say there's this humor in there obviously for carrie but it's a more serious tone um is the truman show and you can see you can see and feel that influence that it's had as i say with the world that the cabin in the woods has created there's even in fact a character within this film one of the security guards he is called truman which is a lovely little nod as well but yeah that that like i said that those films evil dead all your horror and the truman show definitely come to the forefront of influences for this so let's get into the synopsis because it's revolving around five college kids who scoot off to a remote woodland cabin for a weekend break where after the discovery of a rum diary in the creepy basement and the unwise uttering of some ominous latin scrawlings things swiftly turn horrific that's what happens as for why and how well that's a whole other story and, and i like this as well because I, I quickly wanted to just kind of see what other other reviews at the time were saying in terms of mainly what spoilers if they went into any and everyone has the same kind of thing with it where they're just like we don't want to say too much we're going to talk about like the first maybe 20 minutes or something like that and then you go see the film yourself because it really is like uh something so extraordinary at times like the word of mouth of this film as well when it when it came out like i remember seeing it and it was almost like passing along from like person to person. Like, have you seen Coming in the Woods? Have you seen Coming in the Woods? It's one of those go-to ones that I'm so happy that is part of my collection. I actually own this on Steelbook as well as part of my Steelbook. Quick plug for the Steelbook page there. Jump onto Instagram and search at Steelbook City. You can have a gander at many, many collection, uh, many Steelbooks, I should say, within the collection that I own. Another side fun fact about this, when it was released on DVD, The Cabin in the Woods, DVD and Blu-ray, I think it was just the Blu-ray format that there was a, a, a an error with the every single disc, every disc of the, how the film had been obviously like put on the disc or whatever it was glitchy and it said the, maybe maybe a few good ones were in the batch but overall they had to like do a whole recall so when I first got the steelbook I went to watch it and within the first minute it like skipped a scene kept skipping and it was like what what's going on here so yes weird little side note there that that's one of the very rare occasions where I bought something that the there's actually like a product recall for a blu-ray because usually they're not the things that get product recalls, are they? If you go to like Aldi or whatever, there's always something being like, this thing we sold you has got nuts in, we didn't tell you about it, so please send it back. So I've never I've never had uh, I've never had that with a Blu-ray. So that's a first. So another one for like another reason why Cabin in the Woods maybe sticks into my mind. Other than it being an excellent film, um, yeah, just a little side tangent there. So the cast is padded out with some great, great names. Obviously, the the, the most famous of the bunch, I'd say, would be Chris Hemsworth. And this is pretty much pre I think it was, yeah, it was definitely pre-Thor days. It kind of, I think it came out around the time he was set to be in the Avengers and such, and obviously to play Thor. But this is a film I believe he shot in like 2009, 2010, something like that. And then it got delayed because the studio wanted to release this in 3D. And thank God they didn't. Like they, they completely changed their, changed their mind. Obviously Drew Goddard as well, explaining that he had no intention. He didn't want it to come into 3D, but the studio obviously pushing it. Therefore, usually the studio gets what they want. But thankfully, this film only made it out in, in 2D. So because of these delays, obviously, 
I think that he'd already been announced as Thor, but he'd not actually, we, we as audience members have not seen him play this character. So nice to see Chris Hemsworth in this role because it's completely different to say he is the jock character of this uh, of this film. You've got Kristen Connolly as well as Dana, uh, Anna Hutchinson as Jules, Fran Kranz as Marty, what a character this guy is, and Jesse Williams as Holden. They're the batch of the students that we that we follow through this uh, this nightmare. Uh, and within this world as well is Richard Jenkins, the amazing Richard Jenkins, who I just I just love him and everything. And also we've got Bradley Whitford as well, who uh, for me I, I remember when I first saw this and I was watching Bradley uh, Bradley Whitford and I was like where do I know this guy from? Because it's going to really bug me. And then, like, I could, I could see the little man inside my head rummaging through the filing cabinet of like films I'd watched and gone, there he is. He was in Billy Madison, which again is another little side. Uh, that, that could be a revisit actually, because we should do like a Sandler podcast, maybe. But still, Sandler keeps popping up every now and then on this podcast, actually, just like through, through someone else or through talking. Anyway, so yes. That's the main bulk of the cast. There's a sprinkle of obviously great additions in there, but this whole world, as I say, when we get to see this this story unfold and, and revolving around these students and this nightmare they're in, but as I say, it's more so the the, the wider picture of this because you instantly get from the, from the get-go this isn't going to be a straight-up normal horror film because I think this is what, what's good about this is that it's not gory as well for the sake. I've said this before. There's no gore for the sake of gore in this. I think that it's it's a real nice take on, I say, the, the horror genre and what we see in everyday horror films. It's almost like The Cabin in the Woods explains why films go out the way they do, in particular, obviously, the the American horror films that we get, you know, your kind of classic slasher films, which this film does go down that purely on the basis that, you know, these, these, these students in the cabin do stumble across this basement full of all these artefacts and ornaments, whichever they pick, obviously unbeknownst to them, would then result in whatever horror coming to, to slaughter them. And this is, I guess we're going to have to kind of talk about the facility straight off. And again, this is some. This is why I said if you've not seen the film, do go in blind because it's really intriguing. The, the 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 actual main the main arc of the the overall story is that there's a facility uh, that have a purpose of obviously sacrificing five uh, five beings, obviously as part of a ritual, uh, the American ritual that is as well, which in it which involves the archetypes of you've got the whore, the athlete, the scholar, the fool, and the virgin. And the order of the killings is arbitrary as long as the whore dies first and the virgin dies last. And if not, then these ancient beings, obviously these gods likes have been on have come many decades or whatever, lived thousands and thousands of years beneath us. If that's not if that's not completed, if these if these five sacrifices are not completed, that then will obviously mean that they will rise and destroy the earth. I mean that's me just explaining that and that's something that the film obviously explains as we go on it's one of those again it's like oh oh my god like where are we going next with it and this is that's why this film is excellent it's got so many it has so many kind of options that they have on the back of that like what kind of monsters that want to be slashing the film and and even having like i said richard jenkins and obviously bradley whitford as well as part of this facility it uh, I can't really stress just how much I really, really think this film is so ingenious in in that in that story. Say because you've got all the I say that the stereotypical characters that would be in the slasher films, and it's like again when you watch a trailer for this, you'd be like, okay, so we know that this guy's going to die because he's the douche. This person's going to die. Obviously, like it's always like the people that are getting off, uh, getting off together that end up going first or whatever. Then there's the like stoner guy, the Joker. Obviously, he's there to kind of bring some sense of realism to what's going on. He might make it, might not kind of thing. So it's like, you know what you're going to get. But it's like, again, this film saying, well, there's a reason for this because if these things didn't happen, then 
these beings would come out and destroy the earth. And I think it's such a such a very very clever and 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 it, it's such a like a, a a well thought out film and story and script. And the script itself was only wrote in like three days. So credit to them, you know, for locking themselves away and uh, and doing so. But having that facility again, like I say, you get such a it's like two films in one. And what I really like about it as well is is that they purposely put this up in sequencing because you get to see like the the classic again horror trope of blood on the screen to start with all these like kind of ritual drawings and such and then it cuts to just a coffee machine and then there's two people stood by a coffee machine obviously the, the richard jenkins character and bradley whitford just stood there having a chat they're then obviously having a it's a conversation about what they're going to for the weekend this that, and the other how they've got to kind of keep up with protocol this and that and they purposely put this scene in so that if any latecomers had come in because it's a good two three maybe even five minute sequence if not just under anyways of this conversation going on and they purposely put this scene in so that if anyone arrived to the film late they would have thought they'd walked into the wrong screen and i was like ah oh, i love it i love that little touch because it's it's only until the, the, there's the, obviously this moment it's, it's just them talking and i think you'd say it's it's uh bradley whitford's character who says richard jenkins is like are you even listening to me and then the screen obviously the the huge Cabin in the Woods logo comes onto the screen with a shriek in the background, and this Cabin in the Woods is in bright red letters. First, like, kind of jump scare of the film, because it's not one of those films that relies heavily on jump scares, but again, it plays up to those tropes of that suspense or what they would do with the framing to kind of lead up to the intensity, you know, like Frank, uh, Fran Kranz's character, Marty the Stoner, standing outside going for a, going, going for a toilet break, and then he's obviously in the centre of the frame, and you can just see like one of the one of the zombie girls, obviously that's been summoned, just lurking in the background every now and then, fading into darkness, but then trickles in through the moonlight. Stuff like that, like the intensity that builds up, it's so good. But like, it's one of those because it's like a horror comedy. You do get that like constant light relief, and and as the film keeps progressing, and we're learning more about the understanding of the facility and, and the overall, obviously them these characters obviously summoning these monsters themselves, you just can't help but, like, I don't know, be so encapsulated and, and engrossed in what is happening on screen. You know, because they do play up to the horror tropes, but it's so different at the same time, which makes it more refreshing and more rewarding in a way to watch. Because, like, you are rooting for these characters in a strange way. Like, it's one of those, because it's such a different Cabin in the Woods film, you're still rooting for these characters to escape, but you're also kind of like, I want to see a little bit more of this facility. <laughs> like, I want to see... If it means having, you know, certain characters not making out to the end, okay, but I, I would quite like to see, you know, more of this facility. And, and the film, you know, pays off for that. You know, it, it's not like it just drips this little this little idea, this this extra bit of, you know, okay, it's it's not just a cabin in the woods. There's these people that control it all, and, and that's all you're getting. We get to see so much of it, and 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 that's something that I do commend the writing of that because I I just really think it's an interesting concept. Like I say, it's very refreshing. Um, and yeah, there's just so so much to say that allows the film to to move and and to progress very very nicely. Obviously, said there's there's excellent performances in this throughout. I've already mentioned the, you know the the number of uh, cast members that are in this, but you know Kristen Do Kristen Connolly's character really is that the, the the main one as as I say that you are rooting for. You know everyone else obviously that, that's in this like I say Chris Hemsworth and such. You can kind of maybe as usual with these films pick out which ones are going to snuff it first or anything like that. You know Jesse Williams is the is the the scholar almost the one that you know probably should be with Dana's character that's Kristen Conley's uh the nice guy of the bunch you know he has the you know he, straight away we we learn everything we need to know about these characters obviously like I say with the, from the stoner from obviously Chris Hemsworth's Kurt and Anna Hutchinson's uh Jules relationship obviously those two together you know very outgoing and, and such and just kind of 
too much public display of, of affection at times. You're like, please save that for the bedroom, this and that. You know, it, we learn so much about them and, and what to expect. And again, ticking those boxes, ticking those horror tropes, ticking the things of, right, that's why they'll probably snuff it in the next 20 minutes or so, blah, blah, blah. But there is so much to say with, with Marty's character that you just love him from the get-go. I'd say a very over-exaggerated character, the, the, the stoner guy that, obviously the stuff that he's, he's smoking is stopping him from being influenced or whatever by any gas that the, the facility are trying to feed him to make them make decisions or whatever, or just kind of, I don't know, like bringing him, being, being the, more, the more sensible one. Because everyone's kind of been learned and, and the way that the facility have, have worked out and, and thought every possible outcome and angle of what to do and they've got budgets and gizmos and gadgets or whatever to you know influence our main protagonists or whatever to make stupid decisions or whatever you know Fran Kranz's Marty is always the one that's there when they're all like let's split up it makes sense it's like are, are you being serious or like when they're downstairs and Kristen Connolly's Dana obviously picks up the diary and starts reading out Obviously, this horrifying diary entry, and then there's oh, there's something in Latin. He's like, "I'm drawing the line here. Don't read the line. <laughs> like, it's not, it's not, it's not worth it." Again, playing up to that, you're with that character, being like, "You shouldn't be reading the Latin. They shouldn't read the Latin. She's reading the Latin. Let's let's. This is your own doing, kind of thing." But then, obviously, on on the other side of the coin, obviously with with Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford, you know, they've got a they've got a purpose as well. They are the ones that are overseeing. Obviously, they're the leaders of the uh, the American. Uh, ritual that they have to obviously sacrifice these five people obviously it's that there are these times when you do get these kind of moving moments especially like with bradley whitford who obviously says at one point when all the rest of the uh, the protagonists have pretty much been killed off and they're watching them on the screens and you know he's saying about Kristen connelly's dana that it's so strange obviously because the version as i mentioned earlier she can either die or, or survive it just depends on the outcome or how she manages to survive that is and he's like it's such a strange one because i do feel like i'm I'm rooting for her, this, that, and the other. And, and he's going on for this, like, really lovely, heartwarming speech, only to, like, catch in the corner of his eye that someone's brought in te tequila shots to celebrate the fact that they've met their purpose, obviously, and the, the gods will be at bay for another, another however many years or whatever, because they've... The, the American ritual has... Well, at that point, what they think has succeeded, but obviously things go down a path that equal in the the end of the world, pretty much. But this is this is another, this is another side of the film that I really enjoyed as well, because... You can see straight off, obviously, there's that, there's a huge board in the background as well when the uh, facility are, are, like, taking in bets of who... Because uh, this is the thing, we're only drip-fed certain things. We know that there's obviously a cabin in the woods, these kids are going there, and that there's something ominous about, obviously, this facility, whether they're... I think, I think the main thing, all the way through, you're thinking is that they're setting this up not to the wider scale that it becomes, obviously, but they're the ones that are, you know, that, that are pushing all these things forward, that are making these set of scenarios happen, and that these zombies are the re obviously are the reason that they're there. But as we're drip fed this information, it's that it's not just that they have control over these zombies; they have got an absolute catalogue of monsters that can be summoned, obviously, just by these objects that the characters find in the in the um, in the basement. Only because Dana starts uh, reading from the diary and draws everyone's attention that that is the reason why the uh, the zombies uh, the mutilated zombies do come up but like i say they've got a huge catalog and seeing some of these creatures obviously and monsters that is um come come to screen is is just it's just amazing in fairness because i could read through the, uh, the the actual full list but i did get like some of the um i did jot down some of the ones that i did find on the internet just as like just to go over in summary really but the some of the some of the facilities uh, options were werewolf Alien Beast, Mutants, uh, Wraiths, Zombies, 
clowns, witches, sexy witches. I think that's a Buffy the Vampire Slayer reference as well. Uh, demons, Hell Lord, Angry Molesting Tree. <laughs> Angry Molesting Tree, actually, is obviously from The Evil Dead, which The Evil Dead is actually, of course, a, a pretty big influence on this film itself, behind the film, as to Resident Evil, Friday the 13th, Cabin Fever, and Saw. Can't wait to talk about Saw. That's definitely going to happen on the podcast. Uh, so, obviously, yeah, we've got the tree, we've got the giant snake, we've got the mummy, we've got the bride, the scarecrow folk, snowman, dragon bat vampires. Uh, we've also got merman. Uh, the merman is sick. Uh, we've got the reanimated. Uh, we've got a unicorn as well, which has a pretty good, like, kill in there at some point. We've got Sasquatch, obviously, or Yeti, whatever, dolls, zombie redneck torture family. That's the one that do end up coming through and, and, and being the antagonists for our protagonists. Uh, we've got the doctors, the jack o' lantern, giant twins, and Kevin. Just a quick one about Kevin. I love this because I think he's the last name on the board is Kevin. Uh, and when what they were saying is is that uh, the the Drew Goddard was said that Kevin was meant to be a sweet looking guy who seemed like he might work at Best Buy until he dismembers people. So it's just these kind of like nice little touches. And like I said, the humor that's sprinkled in there works really really well. Um, there's just like I said, this overarc of obviously keeping these gods at bay you know we learn obviously through um sigourney weaver's character at the end who was obviously the director which is a great cameo as well like i thought you know because you hear a voice in the film as well when she's talking to dana and she's saying you know you shouldn't be here you've seen too much you know the you've uh, the, the fool should be dead obviously marty's character should be dead as well and you're like it, it's, it's only until you see her at the end that you're like oh my god that was sigourney weaver that was talking because i would never have clocked, well i didn't clock in the cinema obviously that it was her voice but having her cameo in this film as well was um was 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 great. And I think the other I know that the the other name that was uh, in the hat for playing the director uh, was going to be either Bruce Campbell, obviously from Evil Dead, but I don't think he was available. The other uh, name that was that was kind of milling around as well was Jamie Lee Curtis, which I think Sigourney Weaver is a great one. They wanted someone obviously from the horror from from like the horror icon world that fans could really get behind. But for me, I think casting uh, Sigourney Weaver was excellent. The only other person I would uh, to be fair, I, I would have been fine with Bruce Campbell or even Jamie Lee Curtis, but I think Jamie Lee Curtis would have. Been a strong contender maybe before Sigourney Weaver all the same though having Sigourney Weaver pop up in this was um, yeah was was excellent it was such a nice little cameo at the end her explaining everything obviously about the ritual about the sacrifices about the ancient ancient ones and such that are below that will rise if they don't offer these sacrifices it's like I say the over like everything that you expect from this film like I say it's very meta so it obviously knows what it's doing it's, it's see you can tell that Drew Goddard and 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 the other guy had clearly watched and 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 been influenced by so many films because they go on to say that this film is an attempt to revitalize the horror genre, calling it a love letter to the genre, and citing that they love being scared, they love the mixture of the thrill of the horror of the objectification identification thing of wanting it definitely for the people to be all right, but at the same time hoping they'll go somewhere dark and face something awful. The things that I don't like are the kids acting like idiots, the devolution of the horror movie into torch porn and into a long series of sadistic comeuppances. Both writers obviously felt that the pendulum had swung a little too far in that direction. Because, you could, like I said, the argument is there by 2011, we'd had Hostel, we'd had Saw films, and granted, as much as I love the Saw franchise, I'd... I mean, I, I try not to obviously say that it is torture porn and stuff because I'm not getting off to, to him while I'm watching someone do these traps or whatever. But th there's always going to be that kind of it's just gore for the sake of gore. It's just it's just stuff that only sickos would kind of watch. And it's nice that these guys, obviously, then, like I said, that, that, that Drew Goddard and such have come in to write the cabin in the woods and gone, right, let's strip it back. But let's make a really wide and interesting story. Let's not just be a case of, right, they're going to go here to be killed. There. You know what I mean? Like they've thought about every possible outcome of this film. 
film and everything they could obviously have as influences, obviously without not necessarily ripping off stuff because that's the beauty of this film. Like I say, it's very meta. It knows what it's doing. It's, it's, it knows what to expect in a horror slash thriller film, but it's playing to, to like kind of, it's as I've said before, it's, it's just playing up to the expectations of the audience members, but then, almost surpassing them or at least just kind of taking a complete left turn and being like whoa how have we got here and that's why as i say i really enjoy watching richard jenkins and bradley whitford in that whole control room watching those screens seeing how things are unfolding looking at obviously other other ritual sacrifices around the world obviously in different continents or whatever see how they're getting on it all relies on this american ritual to work and obviously sadly it doesn't but to great viewing though because once Dana and Marty once they get into the, that control room into the facility and they just unleash all the monsters into the actual facility itself my god is it a bloodbath and this is what I've said about the unicorn kill earlier there are so many interested and just unbelievable to see at times kills that are going on but the beauty of the well of the cuts and such is that because they say the facility itself in the room that Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford are in They've got all these screens. They can see all the rooms in the in the, in the facility itself. It's just like a different horror film going off in the room. It kind of it's kind of similar in a way to maybe what VHS. I don't. I think VHS came afterwards. But you know, like just different tapes playing of different things going off of different members of staff just being killed in really horrifying ways. Granted, obviously we don't see necessarily the kill. You know, you might have a screen where they're like they're trying to get like a gun or whatever, or trying to sort out other stuff, and there's just a clown just smiling at the screen, just waving, obviously reminiscent of Pennywise. It's just stuff like that. There's just so much to see and say without having all these screens. It is like watching so many different mini horror horror films. And the payoff as well, obviously, with Bradley Whitford, whose character Hadley really wanted the mer the merman to be the killer of this particular this sacrifice. Isn't to be obviously it's the, the zombie family. But when it gets that, you get there's an explosion that happens, and then just from the mist of the smoke, you just see the merman coming out towards him slowly as well. This grotesque looking image. Great practical effect work as well. And he's just like, oh come on, it's just there, starts gnawing on him, blood going everywhere it's just again that kind of like payoff because all the way through all he's been crying about is the fact that he wished it was the merman or at least a couple of times anyways but this is the thing because the, the, the comedy isn't again overkill or anything like that like see the most comic relief you get is out of Fran Kranz's Marty I mean rocking up to start with when he's got that huge bong that's made out of a flask or whatever it is which to which to, uh, to credit to the creators and such the um the actual, uh, the actual thermal coffee mug that's made into a bong. They actually did make the bot. They, they actually made it function like it would work as well, and it cost about five thousand dollars to make. So whoever has that, fair play to you, because that was a very good introduction to the character. That's the thing I really enjoyed, my all the way through. Like the one that just sees through all the madness, and he's talking the most sense for the stoner guy. Anyways, he's the one again that's like, this is a bit ridiculous. This. In addition as well, obviously, Kristen Connolly's character, Dana. Kristen Connolly is really good in this film. Like I've already mentioned numerous times before, you know, even the, even the characters themselves, Bradley Whitford's characters are saying he was like, you know, rooting for her even in spite of her being part of this ritual. She's the virgin to air quote of this ritual. She's the one that can obviously either die or not, depending on the on the outcome. But I just found her really, like I said, this this innocent character that's just going along with a friend for a weekend just to get over some breakup of a relationship that she had with a with a tutor, I think it is that they say uh, in the actual film. Her relationship as well, like her friendship but between her and Marty and, and those two obviously being the last two just shows you just how, how much they can depend on each other uh, and have depended on each other, obviously, not only throughout this particular film that we're watching, but their own relationship, you know, prior to this to this moment. It's almost like a, a very close brother and sister relationship, like nothing, anything, um, anything more than that. Uh, Dana really just gets pulled from pillar to post in this, you know what I mean? Like she's 
trying to get over someone. Her friends are trying to set it with everyone else. She's just that I say that innocent girl that in any other slasher film, in any other horror film of this of this um, of this kind, she probably would make it out. It's just that I, I, I like the twist at the end that she chooses not to you know kill kill Marty the fool. He has to die for the for the world to carry on for the gods for the ancient one. Sorry, not to rise, but she chooses not to again, cementing and showcasing to the audience just how close that relationship is. There's a there's obviously a thought there that she might have to do so i think there's a there's a moments of hesitation in that performance at the end but i think she realizes that it's not it's not even worth it all of this to say it's, it's just going to be the same cycle over and over and friendship means more i i just i I felt that she was a really nice uh, really nice character really like i said the innocent one of the bunch really enjoyed that final moment when they when her and marty are you know covered in blood sat on the steps uh, as the ancient ones are like brewing to to rise up and uh, you know he pulls out a joint and they start smoking it together and uh, she's like ancient ones i wish i wish i could have seen it. it's like i know <laughs> bringing it back down to earth a little in this crazy crazy hour and 35 minute film that we've watched over an hour and 30 just that last moment between the two holding hands waiting for the inevitable and it does come and that's it i said the ending is um yeah it's, it's just big hand crush screen fade to black well not even fade to black crushed to black i should say uh, it's someone actually asked at a q a drew goddard if there was going to be plans for a sequel and it's like did you did you see the ending to the film but definitely dana and marty were the two characters that all the way through that you you just you just easy to to to, to love and said to to want those two to to escape and even though they don't escape it's still nice that they did make it to the end together because yeah really nice relationship between the two also a nice little touch as well is that they're talking at the start part of the opening sequence as i mentioned when the two when richard jenkins and bradley whitford are, are talking about their shift or whatever uh, they're talking to another member and they're saying about there's been no problem since 1998 the number one horror film in the u.s box office in 1998 was halloween h2o 20 years later in which the final girl definitely kills the slasher obviously despite the series coming back and all the reboots and sequels this and that just a nice touch because I say they're expecting you know this to go through they're expecting them to proceed and not to run into any hiccups along the way obviously that's not how this film pans out but it was a nice touch that obviously they brought in the whole no problem since 1998 and that was when as I say in Halloween uh, Michael Myers is fully um, yeah uh, well allegedly defeated but there is just a, so much to, uh, to to very much enjoy with the film. It says a lot that I say that this budget was only 30... Well, I say only. It was 30 million budget and a 66.5 million uh, box office gross. So, you know, it doubled. It did really well. It's easy to see why this is easily one of uh, people's, you know, favourite films to watch around maybe this time of year. Or if you've not seen it, giving it a rewatch again. You know, if you've not watched it in a while, giving it a rewatch because... Everything from the the actual character dynamics to say between you know like I say Anna Hutchinson's jewels and Chris and Connolly and such and their relationship with each other it is very believable. It's very infectious. It's just that I I, I am so into it for the facility because like I say the the actual characters it's one of those where you kind of standard cabin in the woods film where you like if they make it they make it if they don't that's that's just part of this genre you know what I mean but it's giving like more of an explanation to the to these kind of films is what is the beauty of it. Um, and it's one I said that I'm so happy that I've given it a rewatch again because I haven't seen it in such a long time and it's just randomly came to my head today and I thought, you know what, let's give The Cabin in the Woods a rewatch. We're getting up to Halloween. It could be a good first one to talk about on the podcast. And uh, yeah, like it is just a, an all round, just really entertaining film. Well thought out, like I said, the, the facility, everything to do with the ancient ones. All in all, I, um, yeah, 
I very much like this film. So if you've seen The Cabin in the Woods, do get in touch and let me know. Out of 10, this is a strong 8 for me. I think it's a very much enjoyable one. One that really, like I say, is your classic horror Cabin in the Woods film that you'd expect, or at least you think it's going to be that, but it is definitely, definitely not. It is something, uh, yeah, like when we get to see all those monsters in that in the cubes and obviously wherever they are kept, and when the camera pans out and zooms and we get to see all of them, you're just kind of like breathless. Like this is this is genius, obviously. We get to see a little bit of a, a nod to Hellraiser as well. Um, I, I could go on anyways, but the main thing is, is that, yeah, it's just a great watch, and hopefully if you've seen it and um, you listen along to this, that you agree and uh, have a good time with it. So yeah, 8 out of 10 for me, such a strong one, and great work again from, from all involved. Just very, very good. So we'll leave it there. As I say, expect more podcasts coming up with uh, Halloween themes and such horror. I'm definitely going to look at doing a Saw one, maybe do a whole Saw franchise, because easily one of my favourite horror horror sagas today. Obviously, I know it's a bit bumpy, but still, I enjoy them. So yeah, I'm looking forward to going over some more spooky stuff this Halloween. So if you've got any recommendations or requests for the actual podcast, do, do let me know. But as I say, jump onto the socials, give us a like and a follow. Let us know your thoughts as well on the episode. But until the next one, which should be the 100th, looking forward to that as well but until the next episode of course as always thank you again and take care